0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. This week, the NAACP National Convention was in Detroit, bringing 10,000 guests and about $11 million in economic impact to our city. Detroit was at the center of the political landscape as Rashida Tlaib, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, spoke Monday, and, and there was a presidential forum on Wednesday, Joining us today is Detroit news reporter Leonard Fleming, and hopefully we will have two other guests uh, who will join us momentarily. Uh, welcome, Leonard.
0: Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me.
1: That sounds great. That sounds great. Um, Leonard, uh, tell me a little bit about um, what you covered on you covered on Monday. Well, first of all, give us an introduction of yourself so that that the world knows who you are, the esteemed journalist that you are, um, and (laughs) and, uh, talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you, what you covered Monday and Wednesday, and then we can probe a little, little bit deeper into, to those issues.
0: Sure. So I'm a uh, 11 year veteran uh, at the uh, Detroit news. Uh, And Darren, you and I worked together uh, covering city hall for a bit. Um, at the Detroit News. And so uh, I cover uh, the environment and politics here at the paper. And um, so that includes uh, the presidential campaigns over the years. Um, I've also worked in Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, Houston, um, to round out uh, my professional career. Okay.
1: And talk a little bit about... um, the events that you covered uh, on Monday and Wednesday and uh, what it meant in terms of uh, what is going on in the country um, and what it meant for the presidential
0: race. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, the, um, at the start of the uh, NAACP convention, you had uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi come in. She was the headliner on Monday and gave a speech that I think many people expected Uh, to talk about protecting voting rights and um, ensuring all and making sure that uh, criminal justice reform was important. And those were some of the themes that she touched on. Uh, Interestingly enough, she uh, was one of the few speakers that didn't actually mention the president. And at the um, Detroit uh, Club, later on in the day, after her speech at the convention, she had a press scrum. And I asked her uh, at the press crumb um, why uh, she was one of the few speakers who didn't mention the president. And her retort was, uh, I never mentioned his name. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, and then going into uh, the other speeches, you had, as you mentioned, uh, Representative Rashida Khalid, uh, Gary Peters, Senator Gary Peters, Senator Debbie Stabenow all making uh, bombastic remarks, as you know, about uh, the uh, the president and some of his policies and, and beliefs. So, um, and then going into Wednesday, um, we had the presidential forum where uh, April Ryan, uh, the urban um, uh, radio uh, White House correspondent, was the host. And talk to each individual candidate for about six minutes. And uh, I have to say, I I learned a lot uh, from some of these candidates that I didn't know that much about. Um, So I thought the format was good. I I assumed they were just all going to be on the stage at once, but um, uh, I didn't, um, I hadn't quite seen a uh, form quite like that where you just pull everyone out individually for six minutes. But um, so you didn't have the fireworks that we'll have next week in Detroit for the CNN debate. Okay.
1: Right. Right. And and so, uh, I mean, politically. Talk a little bit about what um, particularly with the presidential debate yesterday or on Wednesday, um, what it meant for Detroit, because they dealt with a lot of issues that that reached Detroit, predatory lending, um, gentrification, jobs, voting rights uh they talked about um uh high insurance rates, they talked about um uh high housing costs, all of these issues that um Detroiters are facing uh every day. And so talk to me a little bit about um what that meant in in terms of um them um and 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 and, and let me be clear, these issues affect uh people of color you know, in multiple parts of the country. Um, sure. But bringing that message here to, to Detroit, um, what did that mean? Because, you know, in particular, that was one of the things that President um, Derek Johnson talked about um, in his speech. And, and I'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later. But that's one of the things that he talked about in his speech uh, on, on
0: Sunday as well. Sure. Well, I, I think it I think it resonates with. Um, you know, Detroiters in a myriad of ways because it's something, these are topics that you mentioned that uh, affect uh, Detroiters um, uh, everywhere. You know, high insurance rates. I mean, Detroit has among the highest insurance rates in the country. Uh, I don't even live in Detroit and I have high insurance rates. So, uh, I mean, I feel it um, and how it's climbed. Um, predatory lending, as you mentioned, these are things that, that people here care about in um, I, I think the candidates they, they, they could have had I wish they had a little bit more time to delve into those issues because you know when you have a short time period to to you know, give an opening and closing statement and answer a few questions, you have to kind of move move forward uh, with the with the process. But uh, I was glad to hear that these issues were front and center because, you know, as you know, darren, from the you know from the presidency, um, while it may be local to each individual place where you campaign, once you become president, you know, then you're representing the country as a whole. So it's good that these candidates are hearing about a city that is on the move, but still has tremendous amounts of challenges, um, particularly in its neighborhood. And a president who cares about an urban agenda can have a good effect and good policy you know, going for, um, to help people who can address these issues. Um, I didn't speak to anyone in particular from Detroit. I I spoke to people from other, other states, but primarily about what they thought about the credit presidential candidates and their thoughts. But, um, I think everyone was impressed that I spoke with about the fact that these are issues that, All of these candidates, including, you know, the sole Republican, uh, William Weld, former governor of Massachusetts, actually care about and have experience dealing with either either as a mayor or senator or a congressman.
1: Okay. And so let me talk a little bit about the the story that I covered, because my story that I did for Crisis Magazine, it dealt with the future of the NAACP. And President Derek Johnson was clear that uh, the NAACP should remain focused in its mission and its real battle is in the communities upon which uh, people live. And so tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that um, and where you think the NAACP is going and what you gleaned out of um, not only – us being on the front and center lines of what was going on because they brought in all of these political candidates, but what it meant um, to make sure that people from the NAACP heard the presidential candidates um, could decide who they wanted to um, um, have uh, as, you know, potentially the next democratic um, uh, 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 nominee and, and just sort of, um, how that nominee would fit into uh, the city of Detroit, I mean, or or the NAACP, given that, you know, right off the bat, you had Julian Castro coming out saying, hey, I was the first one to come out with with a black agenda. And so what what talk a little bit talk to talk to me a little bit about that.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's a little bit, a little bit of a challenge to unpack. So let me try it, the first part of it, and that is, um, is, is the NAACP relevant and, and do they have an impact per se? I, I definitely think that it's a relevant organization. It's it's important, sort of like the National Association of Black Journalists, as you know, we've both have been a part of. Um, th- there's a huge need to address the redlining, uh, the profiling, um, the criminal justice inequality that we see um, uh, to push the dominant culture of this country to understand that these issues are far from solved. And I think the NAACP, unfortunately, you know, they've, they've been dogged with, you know, are they relevant? Have they had some financial challenges in the past? Have they had some leadership lapses? And we've all known and read about those issues uh, going back many years. Um but I would say that um, the fact that they're able and they have it, it has been able to attract these uh, presidential candidates from both parties for many years is huge because that gives it a huge platform that puts reporters and others into the room that otherwise wouldn't be there um, and, and Darren, you know this I mean if you talk to many people across this country um Uh, who happen to be white, they may not necessarily know what the NAACP means in terms of the the acronym, Uh, or uh, they don't even necessarily know what the mission is, or they'll say, well, why do we need that? And so I think that the NAACP certainly needs to uh, bolster its mission to sort of talk more and put itself more on the national stage to not just come in with it when events happen like when ferguson happens or you know um eric garner happens you know they have a statement they have someone that's out there i think they need to be out up front of issues more and i would like to see that uh happen but um you know certainly I don't think the public at large really understands the role or the need for the organization, and I think that is something I'd like to see improve for me in NAACP. But from a Detroit perspective, um, I, I think it I think it really blessed the city, um, and it brought a lot of attention to Detroit, um, both to the positive as well as the negative. Because you know, you and I both know these neighborhoods in Detroit, they need a lot of work. Um, they need investment. Um, they need a population shift. And it has been a uh, it's been an arduous challenge to, to move that forward.
1: Okay, And so sort of back to the presidential debate. Um, clearly, you, there was a lot of uh, applause and, and standing ovations for both Camilla Harris as well as Joe Biden um in sure. your in your interviewing of folks uh that were there um were they uh were they ultimately uh those supporters from the start or were they uh swayed after they heard uh both of them speak and from from most of the people that you talk to or or that uh you know some of your colleagues talk to you know, who made some of the biggest impacts on on those people there?
0: Yes. Yeah. So I, I think a combination of both. I think there were people who always believed in Joe Biden and liked him, always liked him, uh, going back even before he served as vice president under President Obama. And then there were others who were pleasantly surprised with the new face uh, Kamala um, Harris and really Uh, were impressed by her and have been impressed by her. So um, I didn't really hear of anyone else necessarily moving the needle. I think that people have come in to the convention and to these um, various speeches with their mind zeroed in on a few people that they like. Um, And so uh, you know, I mean, it it gets it gets to the point where you just need these candidates to show up and make an appearance, and then, you know, if if that candidate says something that makes sense, then it resonates. And I think um, the mayor of uh, um, uh, of uh, South Bend, um, and I cannot pronounce his last name, to save my life. I will just say Mayor Pete Butte. Uh, Butte, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Mayor Buteg, uh, I think, um, gave an impressive speech um, and, and, and really touched on, and you could hear it in the, in the applause, too, from, uh, from the people that were there uh, about how, you know, this country has come a long way, but we're taking significant steps back. And I think that perhaps those sound bites and those quotes, as I collected quotes yesterday, from each candidate to tweet out, he had perhaps the strongest comments. Um, and I, I kind of looked out into the crowd after each and every speech just to kind of get a feel for how people were paying attention or whether they were clapping and standing up or interested. And he seemed to get more of a reaction, just given the fact that he spoke clearly about uh, the president's rhetoric as well as how it's affecting African Americans. Um, but I, I'm not so sure it moved the needle on anybody. I, I think that people have pretty much zeroed in uh, on, um, on who they're going to support. Um, but they have the expectation that people should show up. And, you know, people were telling me, I think, on Monday when I talked to folks at the, at the convention, you know, that, you know, if someone's not here, we, we'll, we, we know about it you know, and they won't be getting their vote, <laughs> you, you know, if they kind of came in with an open mind. Right. So that's not something that, um, is a good look for the people who didn't necessarily, uh, attend. And there, there were a few that, that could not make it obviously. Um, and I thought Bernie Sanders had a good reaction too. Uh, I was surprised by that. Um, uh, I guess for the reason of the fact that, um, uh, you don't really see any visible black faces in in his candidacy at all that that I've seen even from 2016. Um, And I know that he's tried to reach out and, and tries to resonate with, with more African-Americans. But um, I was surprised at the pleasant reaction he got as well when he first stepped into the stage. But I hope that answers your question. Yes.
1: Leonard, I just wanted to ask you one other question before we let you go. Um, just a little bit about the future of the NAACP and where it's going. Um, I just wanted to know just your thoughts on um, on this issue, primarily because we're talking about um, young people now, two, two generations. We're talking about the new millennials and Generation Z, um, who have heard about the civil rights movement uh, through um, the textbooks that they read Um, in school rather than getting it from their parents or their grandparents. And so what do you you think about um, this particular issue?
0: Yeah, so I I think the NAACP will have a toll order with um, the millennials and the next generation um, to keep things relevant. I mean, as as America becomes more integrated, both in urban centers and in suburban centers, I think that... um, you know, the potency um, and the interest will sort of wane. But, you know, these issues uh, that people of color face uh, will always continue unabated. And I think um, the NAACP must somehow find a way to uh, integrate these thoughts and these ideals with these youngsters. Um, and you know, but I, I think they're they're going to have a they're going to have a challenge in doing so. Um, you know, a, a lot of these younger people, I mean, they're not keeping track of current events, for example. So, um, you know, when large incidents happen, then the NAACP kind of swoops in and, and gets involved, and that's sort of when they hear about uh, the NAACP. I, I also think too, uh, the NAACP ought to be making appeals to both churches and parents of people of color to talk to their kids about the relevancy um, and to let their kids know uh, and the grandkids know that yes, while some aspects of life may be getting better, civil rights will always be an issue and you need a group and an organization you can count on to make sure they have your back. Um, And uh, but, you know, to 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 produce that type of a message, you need resources and finances. And I think that will also be the challenge for the organization as well.
1: Okay, okay. Well, thank you, Leonard. We appreciate you uh, joining us today. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts on everything that we talked about? And um, if not, uh, I appreciate you uh, spending some time with Beyond the Headlines.
0: Yeah, no. I just want to say thanks for having me. I feel blessed to be on your on your podcast, and uh, it's great to hear you on the air and doing great things. So.
1: That sounds great, and we'll talk real soon. Now we're here today with Detroit News reporter Orlando Brand Williams, who also covered the NAACP convention. Welcome, Orlando.
2: Uh, thanks for having me, Darren. Thanks for uh, the invitation to come on to talk about the convention. I know you were part of the great uh, coverage team for the Crisis Magazine. So thank you for having me on.
1: Well, thank you. And so, first of all, introduce yourself to people who don't know you. Um, Tell them a little bit about yourself. And then uh, talk a little bit about um, what you covered and, and what you got out of the convention.
2: Uh, let's see. I, uh, am a Detroit news uh, reporter, uh, long time. Uh, I covered courts, um, federal district, um, natural Detroit courts. Um, I used to cover race relations. I've covered religion and, um, I'm a Greenwood, Mississippi native, but I grew up in Detroit, been here since I was four, graduated from central high school and U of M. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was. Uh, that was actually the convention this past weekend. Uh, up to Wednesday was probably my third national NAACP convention I've covered, and um, the, I I covered the uh, the opening uh, news conference on Saturday, and I covered the LGBTQ town hall meeting on Wednesday. And um, just looking at the program, talking. Uh, to some of the officials, uh, it just, uh, it, I think Detroit had a very successful convention here.
1: Okay. And so how did this, well, first of all, don't hold back, okay? Because you've mm-hmm. done some some major stories in Detroit that is a part of mm-hmm. Detroit history. Now, you have to tell our listeners that you were the person who broke the Nancy Kerrigan story. You have to tell them <laughs> that, and you have to tell them that you are part of Detroit history in covering the Frederick Finley case. You have to tell folks that yeah. you are the person who covered the Renisha McBride case. And so don't be humble here right now. Let's, let's take a step back and talk about some of the major stories that you've done at your time at the Detroit News, and then we'll get back to, to some of this NAACP talk.
2: Well, yes, I did cover the Nancy Kerrigan case, uh, Tanya Harding case. Um, It was a a very unusual story, but I will say to um, uh, beginning reporters that it's a case and point in which you should leave the newsroom to do stories. A lot of times people may want to just make phone calls, but if you can... Actually, go to a news story because that's how I ended up breaking the Nancy, the Tanya Hardy, Nancy Kerrigan case. Um, I was assigned to do a story on the National Figure Skating Championship in Detroit that year. I think it was 1994. And, um, you know, I figured, well, let me run over here to uh, Cobo Hall, Joe Lewis area. And I, I it escaped me exactly which, which building it was, but I think it was Joe Lewis. Maybe it was Cobo Hall where they were doing the practice.
1: It but was said, at Cobo.
2: Yes. It was Cobo. Yes. That's where you do the practice, yes. And so I said, well, I'll go over here, and, um, you know, even if it's uh, afternoon and nothing really is going on, I can go over and just check out, you know, the skaters. And um, while I was there, I heard on the police radio that Nancy Kerrigan had been assaulted. And so this was really before... The uh, internet was in full bloom, if you will. If you will, uh, and so that was. Uh, I just say the young reporters, or just reported beginning reporters, no matter what age. Um, it, it's always good to get out of the building, go out, check out a story. Don't rely on making a phone call because when you're using your eyes and ears out there, those are. Uh, The moments, the times when you get the the big stories, when you actually leave the building and you're out, you're out, you know, in the public, on the streets, covering the stories, uh, just experiencing things. That's that's where the big stories come from and the best stories come from.
1: And you're absolutely correct in in that notion. You're very correct. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. so what did you. Uh, glean out of the the convention this year. How did it compare to the conventions that you saw in the other two cities? Um, and and what do you think people got out of uh, the NAACP convention based on the folks that you, you interviewed?
2: Um, I you know I saw a lot of focus on the youth. Uh, I saw a lot of uh, energy with the young people in in the uh, NAACP, and, uh, you, you know, you saw that the organization is definitely preparing the next generation to take the helm. So some people may think, well, most of the elders and the leaders, you know, are near retirement or some have died off, but I think that the organization's definitely got a healthy uh, generation of young people who are ready to take over. Um, I also saw uh, more of a focus on politics, although, you know, it is, um, uh, you know, it's a organization that is nonpartisan. You did see, you know, with the uh, candidates forum, and maybe it was um, because, you know, we're going into an election year next year, but it it was uh, good to see, the uh the candidates forum um i wish i'd covered it but we had leonard fleming of the paper who was part of the uh political coverage but uh, that was good to see and um i was uh, also um happy to see the lgbtq town hall um, i had not seen that before or not a uh as much emphasis but that was a wonderful uh a town hall meeting. It was attended, well attended, by about almost 300, about between 250 and 270 people there, and um, he had a black a gay and lesbian activists who talked about uh, the gains that they made and how happy they were to be hosted by the uh, convention, so that uh, African Americans and others who were part of the organization could hear their concerns, who could who could hear firsthand. And firsthand accounts of the discrimination that exists for uh, African-American gays and lesbian and transgender people. So that, I thought, was uh, really a, a watershed moment. Um, so that that was really good to see. Um, I think the Detroit Convention just uh, really glowed in terms of how it was hosted, um, all of the, the workshops that came out of it, there was a workshop on environmental justice uh, that keyed in on what was going on with the Flint water crisis. So um, I think, uh, I think it appears that the NAACP loves coming back to Detroit. Um, they definitely have um, very strong roots in this city. When you look at back at some of the cases uh, that they championed, like the OCN suite, the 1925 OCN suite, uh, case that dealt with the uh, black doctor who moved into a white neighborhood and had a white mob descend upon uh, his home. Um, he was acquitted along with uh, family members uh, in the case, uh, and that the legal team was uh, brought brought forth by uh, Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP. So, you know, this is the city where the NAACP buried the N-word 2000, in 2007. Yes. Uh, I believe that they love coming to Detroit. Detroit has the biggest and uh, most active branch. So, um, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're back here in a few more years.
1: Okay. And talk to me a little bit about how important it was to have uh, the LBGTQ um Uh, forum. And just you you mentioned um, the issues that were brought to light there. But how important was it to have that sort of forum and to have that kind of dialogue, Um, primarily for the African American community that has, for years kind of, you know, um, talked about it behind closed doors. Um, And so why is it why was it more important? Why was it important for the NAACP to to delve into uh, this issue at uh, the convention?
2: Well, I, I think especially we've had the same sex ruling a few years ago that it is saying that, you know, uh, this is a segment of our, our community. Uh, you know, some people have. Um, said that uh, you know African American community is largely homophobic and I don't know if that's true, but um it says all segments of our our population of our communities are welcome. are welcome here to express the issues and concerns that confront you. We're gonna host you, we want you to come, we want you to feel welcome. We, you know, because there are members of the NAACP who are gay and lesbian. And so I think that, um, uh, that it says to them, you are welcome and, and you are welcome to come here and we want to listen to your concerns. We want to host uh, town halls and meetings and plenary sessions about what is plaguing uh, your, your community, which is our community. So I, I think that was a very strong and bold message and uh, encompassing message that uh, the NAACP saying, you know, we're all solidified. You know, your concern is the rising HIV um, rates among uh, gay black black men is our concern. Um, The attack, the violence uh, against uh, gay people and transgender women. Most of the victims I read today, uh, there was another one, I think, somewhere in the South, I want to say South Carolina, uh, where a 12th transgender woman was killed. And uh, I read that, most of them, but but all of the, the transgender victims were black women, black transgender women. So I I think that the NAACP is saying, you know, it's a new day. You know, we're uh, we're taking all of our members and their concerns into the fold, and, and what is important to the LGBT community is important to us.
1: Okay, and so with all of this, you mentioned. Uh, a focus on the youth Um, you talked about the LGBTQ community Um, and you've talked about um, them trying to shed their um, the notion that the NAACP is an old organization and so where is the NAACP going Um, and where do you see the future Of the NAACP?
2: Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of people um, have brought up that question where it's going, but I haven't covered the convention um, the past week. Like I said, I think that the organization is going to be in good hands. Uh, They've got a lot of uh, young people across many spectrums uh, that are very involved, and um, I think they will uh, handily take the, the helm and uh keep the organization going um i did have a woman who called me and uh she was up from texas and she uh said that she wanted to see the naacp change its name from naacp that she wanted the color uh aspect of the name was taken out of the title of the organization and um you know she, uh, said because it shouldn't cause that, that phrase color was old. And I asked her being a reporter, well, you know, uh, don't you think some people would say that's the traditional name? That name is historic. And so, um, you know, I think it's one of those revered organizations, um, that will be around for a long time. I think they've got a, uh, group of uh, next generation uh, people that are going to take over, that are, you know, they've been raised in the NAACP. They know, you know, how to run the organization, the needs of the the organization, um, what it needs to survive. And so I think it will be in good hands.
1: Okay. And as we get ready to wrap up, um, give me your final thoughts and comments about what we talked about and, um, anything else that you want to add?
2: Well, you know, when I think about, uh, the NAACP, um, I think a lot of people tend to forget and maybe some people don't know, but the NAACP was founded by a diverse group of people by both blacks and some whites. And it was for the advocacy of, uh, African Americans it was uh you know after the days of lynching and 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 so it was an advocacy to a group to make sure that blacks were protected, educated had the same chances and opportunities as uh whites in america so um I, you know um while I was there, I did see that it remains, uh, diverse. Um, it's just not a group made up of African-Americans. There are uh, they're white who are also part of the group. Um, there are a lot of, uh, organizations that, which are not African-American, which also support the NAACP. Um, so I think, you know, uh, the NAACP will survive. It's just one of those, uh, organizations that African-Americans look to, still look to, for help. Um, you know, it's it's not unusual for someone to say, well, you know, something happened to me um, at my job. I'm going to call the NAACP. It's one of the first organizations that people think to bring um, into their lives when they need help. Um, and and people, are, you know, still see it as one of those organizations that has to
1: survive. Okay. Well, thank you, Orlando, as usual. I appreciate you. Oh, um, thank
2: you, Darren.
1: Coming on uh, the show. And as things progress on your normal beat, uh, I definitely will be calling you to uh, discuss some of the other things that are going on in the city. And you continue to do the great job that you do.
2: Well, thank you, Darren. And you too, as a, my fellow journalists, thank you and um, for the work you do and continue to do. Um, I, I always say to people, journalism matters, and it matters even more now.
1: Absolutely. Um, because,
2: you know, news uh, reporters and journalists are, uh, which are one of the same, but journalists are under attack. And, uh, you know, we have to survive, too, because we are here to chronicle history and shed a light on injustice and so we have to survive and um you know so thank you for having me and and thank you for the wonderful work you do well thank you congratulations on your podcast
1: thank thank you very much this is just an extension of this is just an extension of what i've always have done um and you know i call this podcast uh what i used to do on the job minus the writing um you sit there and, and interview folks and this is an unfiltered way of getting uh people to discuss issues um and rather than having to boil it down into one quote, um people get a chance to really discuss uh the issues that are going on, the pertinent issues in a uh long and poignant kind of way. And that way they're not left with um any wondering as to whether uh, they were misquoted or whether they were mistreated or whether, uh, they were, uh, their issue was not, uh, discussed in a fair and equitable way. And as a journalist, I always tried to do that. Um, but with a podcast, we can allow people to be able to discuss issues for, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes, um, so that they can get things done.
2: Well, thank you for having me, and I'll be listening.
1: That sounds great. And All right,
2: there. Take care.
1: You too. And that will be it for this edition of Beyond the Headlines, and you all have a great week. As we leave Beyond the Headlines, I want to give our listeners an inspirational quote for you guys to ponder each week as you get ready for the new show. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King. It reads, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines.